and verse 1. Revelation chapter 13 and verse 1. And I stood upon the sand of the sea and saw a beast rise up out of the sea. It is absolutely vital when interpreting the book of Revelation to realise that the Apostle John wrote it to speak to the people of his own generation. With his words also being the eternal word of God, what he wrote also, of course, has profound relevance for every generation. Nevertheless, we cannot ignore the fact that John was writing to the people of his own day about the events which they were experiencing at that time. So the terms which John uses would have been understood by those to whom he wrote. Now, yes, he was using prophetic symbolism and his message was for those who were willing to listen and search and humble themselves before God. But John's purpose was not to obscure his message. His purpose was to reveal his message and that is why it is called the book of Revelation not the book of obscurity. So the immediate contemporary context of John's time must be the yardstick for our understanding of this book. Uh, Just indeed as it must be with uh, the interpretation of any other book of the Bible. Uh, There is always an historical environment in which the book was written which must be considered in order properly to understand it. And so the Apostle John was not writing a piece of literature which would have no meaning to any generation except to those which would appear some 2,000 years later. He was writing to his contemporaries. Furthermore, we must remember that John was writing in the light of the Old Testament scriptures and to those who knew those scriptures. The book of Revelation, in fact, contains by far more Old Testament references and allusions than any other book of the New Testament. So we can only understand what Revelation teaches by looking back to what the Old Testament teaches. Now John says here, I stood upon the sand of the sea and saw a beast rise up out of the sea. By standing on the sand of the shore, John sees what is happening on both land and sea. Now, the sea in the Bible 
is symbolic of the feverish activity of God, of of the God-rejecting nations and the rulers of this world. And so the sea and all its turbulence is a picture of the turbulence of a world which rejects God. We see this, for example, uh, in Isaiah chapter 17 and verse 12. Isaiah 17 verse 12. Woe to the multitude of many people which make a noise like the noise of the seas and to the rushing of nations that make a rushing like the rushing of mighty waters. Now that the sea represents the nations is also confirmed for us uh, in this book of Revelation, in chapter 17 and verse 15, where John is actually told, the waters which thou sawest are peoples and multitudes and nations and tongues. So, the beast here, arising from the sea, is closely associated with this whole God-rejecting world. I stood upon the sand of the sea and saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns. Now, just as the dragon, of which we read in the previous chapter, the dragon being Satan, this beast also has seven heads and ten horns, thus showing the great similarity between the dragon and the beast and their common purpose. The dragon in chapter 12 has seven crowns upon seven heads. Here in chapter 13, the beast has ten crowns resting upon his ten horns. So the dragon and the beast, whilst being closely related, are not identical. They have distinct and separate identities. This beast, therefore, is not the devil himself. The Old Testament book of Daniel helps us to identify this beast. This is why we read earlier from Daniel chapter 7, where Daniel has a vision of four terrifying beasts. Uh, We read in verse 7 of Daniel 7, After this I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible, and strong exceedingly, and it had great iron teeth. It devoured and brake in pieces, and stamped the residue with the feet of it. And it was diverse from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. Now Daniel's four beasts speak of four great empires which will successively rule over the people of God. Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, and finally, Rome. And Rome is to be even more powerful 
and terrifying than the other three. And that is saying something. So it is the Roman Empire which is the fourth beast of Daniel chapter 7. And also here in Revelation chapter 13. The beast, as we are told, has ten horns. The horns depict fierceness and aggressive capability. Now, again, looking at Daniel chapter 7, we read in Daniel 7 and verse 24, and the ten horns out of this kingdom are ten kings that shall arise. And so the prophet Daniel is looking forward to the coming of the Roman Empire. When he writes, he is under the power of the Babylonian Empire. Now, as we consider the meaning of Daniel 7 and the reference to the ten kings there in verse 24, these refer to the line of Roman emperors that would encompass New Testament history. And those emperors are as follows. It's all well documented. Julius Caesar, Augustus, Tiberius, Claudius, Caligula, Nero, Galba, Otto, Vitellius, and finally Vespasian. It was under Vespasian that the temple was destroyed in AD 70, bringing to an end the whole Old Testament period and the Old Testament theocratic nation of Israel. And Jerusalem was completely destroyed. And so obviously, uh, these ten emperors have a deep significance for God's covenant people. And this is why they are the subject of prophecy. Now, concerning the seven heads which this beast rising up out of the sea possesses here in Revelation 13. We know from the interpreting angel's statement in Revelation 17 that the seven heads of the beast represent both seven mountains and seven kings. Seven mountains and seven kings. As we are specifically told in verses 9 and 10, of Revelation 17. So um, the New Testament is actually interpreting the symbols for us. Now the significance of the seven mountains is the fact known by all people in John's day, namely that Rome was literally built upon seven hills. This again confirms that the beast is the Roman Empire. Now concerning the seven kings, when John was writing Revelation, the current emperor was the sixth in a line of seven. 
the seven emperors who formed the first dynasty of the Roman Empire. Now, we read in verse 10 of chapter 17 of Revelation. Revelation 17, verse 10. And there are seven kings. Five are fallen, and one is, and the other is not yet come. So we are actually told in the inspired text there that the emperor currently on the throne, when John writes the book of Revelation, was the sixth in a line of seven. And we know that the sixth emperor of the empire was Nero. This line of seven had begun with Julius Caesar, the very first Roman emperor. And it is called the Julio-Claudian dynasty. It lasted until 68 AD, when it was replaced by the Flavian dynasty of emperors under Vespasian in AD 69. Now, these two imperial families are of great significance to the Apostle John as he writes Revelation because he is considering recent history, his present time and the immediate future of his nation. Now, it was in 63 BC that Judea had fallen to Rome. And so the land where God's covenant people lived was under Roman power. That that is of deep significance. And it was in 45 BC that Julius Caesar received virtually unassailable power as dictator for life over the Roman territories, including Judea and Jerusalem. And so John is explaining these historical details. Now, Julius's victory, Julius Caesar's victory in the civil war of his day replaced what was known as the Roman Republic, ruled by the consuls and the Senate. And so the Roman Republic was replaced by the Roman Empire and Julius Caesar was the first Roman emperor. And these emperors had hereditary successors. So the coming of Julius Caesar as the first Roman emperor was the start of a brand new age for Rome. Therefore, the seven heads of this beast, which John sees here in Revelation 13, depict the first seven Roman emperors. The first five of these have fallen, meaning that they've died. The sixth one is Nero, who is on the throne as John writes. And the emperor following Nero's 13-year rule was a man called Galba, whose reign was very short. Now, we further read of the beast at the end of uh, verse 1 here in chapter 13. 
And upon his heads are the names of blasphemy. Upon his heads are the names of blasphemy. Satan, through the beast, through the Roman Empire, endeavours to usurp God's authority to himself. Now this is very significant. The devil employs the state to carry out his purposes. He employs the powers that be to exercise a complete control over the lives of men, even to the extent of demanding worship. Because it is a plain historical fact that the Roman emperors gave themselves divine titles. And this is the name of blasphemy which John sees upon the heads of the beast. The Emperor Nero, who was indeed a beast of a man, and one could say that literally if one were to describe what he actually did. Some of the things which Nero did were so horrific that we could not actually describe them in this gathering because they were too disgusting. Nero thought that he was the new Apollo. And he even created a massive 120-foot-high image of himself. If ever there were an earthly ruler who personified God-hating wickedness and absolute evil at their very height, it was the emperor Nero. And so we should not be surprised that it was under Nero that the first ever anti-Christian persecution took place within the Roman Empire. It was Nero who had the apostles Paul and Peter put to death. Now, in the context of this persecution, which was tragically encouraged by the Jewish establishment, John writes in his first epistle, in chapter 5, 1 John 5, verse 19, the whole world lieth in wickedness, which can also be rendered in the evil one, in the power of the evil one, in the power of Satan. And so Satan has a universal dominion because as Paul tells us, he is the God of this world. That's one of his titles. So Satan has often been directly behind great world empires. Now, as we have noted, a difference between this beast in chapter 13 and the dragon in chapter 12 is that whilst the dragon has crowns upon its seven heads, the beast here has crowns upon its ten horns. Now, the horns and the heads both depict the emperors. 
with the heads emphasising the individual man and the horns, the power which he exercised. What we are learning here is that the Roman Empire was the devil's own instrument to carry out his evil purposes in the world. And what exactly did Rome do? Beginning with the reign of Nero, it persecuted the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, John was writing Revelation during Nero's persecution. That's why he's writing it. He needs to encourage the saints. You see, John was writing Revelation in the context of the Romans enforcing the cult of emperor worship. And even being encouraged by the Jewish leaders to go along this path of persecuting the Christians. Remember the Jewish crowd said, we have no king but Caesar. And so there was a general rejection of the kingship of Christ. Now verse 2 here, And the beast which I saw was like unto a leopard, and his feet were as the feet of a bear, and his mouth as the mouth of a lion. And the dragon gave him his power, and his seat, and great authority. Now, as we consider John's description of this beast, it's obvious, of course, that no such monster as this exists in nature. So utterly terrifying and dangerous it is. Now, the beast which we see here is a combination of other ferocious creatures, like unto a leopard, feet like a bear, mouth as the mouth of a lion, all combined into one monster, the rapacious power of a leopard, a bear and a lion. Now, we must note the similarity of this beast in Revelation 13 to the three uh, separate beasts described in Daniel chapter 7, which were all great world empires, namely Babylon, the Medo-Persian Empire, and Greece. But the fourth beast, Rome, is worse than the previous three, combining into one their strength and ferocity. So such was the Roman Empire, receiving its power and authority from Satan himself. Now this historical reality in the time of the Apostle John also, of course, teaches us vital truth for today. We learn that in any age, the state may well become an anti-Christian force which assaults and seeks to destroy the people of God.
Satan has not changed. Now John says in verse 3 here, And I saw one of his heads, as it were, wounded to death, and his deadly wound was healed, and all the world wondered after the beast. The world wandering after the beast refers to the worship offered to the Roman emperors throughout the empire as the emperors blasphemously claimed to be gods. Now the great mass of people in many nations had no choice but to be in awe of Rome's supreme power. Many temples were erected to the emperors throughout the empire, especially in Asia Minor, where there were Christian churches. Regarding one of the heads of the beast receiving a mortal wound, which was subsequently healed, as we are told in this verse 3, we need to go back to Julius Caesar and to the time when the empire, as opposed to the Roman Republic, came into being. Now, Julius Caesar was famously assassinated in 44 BC, and of course, Shakespeare uh, has written a play all about those events. Now, Caesar's assassination took place Uh, some 110 years prior to John writing. But it was an event of enormous significance and with which many would have been familiar because Julius Caesar was the first of the Roman emperors and remember Palestine, Judea, the land of Israel was under the power of Rome. Now, upon the assassination of Julius, it looked as if the empire would be consumed by civil war and anarchy and cease to exist. So the deadly wound suffered by one of the heads of the beast uh, refers to the death of Julius uh, and also to the ensuing weakness which overcame the empire on his demise. And so after the assassination, the Parthians overran all Western Asia and Palestine and captured Jerusalem. So this concerns the people of God. This is why John is particularly interested as he writes of the unfolding of God's purposes for God's covenant people. So the Parthians overtook the power of Rome as far as Jerusalem was concerned. So for a full year after Judas's death, Western Asia changed masters. The rule and authority of Rome disappeared and the Parthians were recognised as the dominant power. Now, one might have thought that the assassination of the first of the emperors would lead to a total collapse of the empire and to the collapse of the very notion of an autocratic emperor with so much power enshrined in a single individual. 
The empire, however, lived on. It came back to life. Because Julius was followed by other emperors, more autocratic than even he would have dared to be. So the Roman Empire recovered after a great setback with the assassination of Julius. It recovered and became even more powerful. And this is what John is referring to in verse 3. The deadly wound of one of the heads of the beast was healed. And the beast lived on to do the devil's work. Verse 4. And they worshipped the dragon which gave power unto the beast. And they worshipped the beast saying, Who is like unto the beast? Who is able to make war with him? Now this again brings home to us the universal power of the devil over the minds of men. Now one of the problems we have in the 21st century is that we have become so sophisticated and we think we know it all because of our scientific endeavour that uh, most people do not recognise the reality of demonic forces and of a being called the devil. But in fact, the devil is controlling the minds of most men in this world right now in the year 2022. By nature, men reject God and hate Christian truth. That is what men do by nature. People always have a tendency to embrace the spirit of the age. And by doing so, they are unwittingly worshipping the devil, whom scripture describes in John 12 verse 31 as the prince of this world. And again in Ephesians 2 verse 2, the devil is described as the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. So everyone who is not trusting in Christ is under allegiance to Satan. Now, Satan holds sway, not in heaven, of course, but he's the prince of the power of the air. He is down here in the aerial regions which men inhabit. He's in our atmosphere. That's where he works. Satan, we are told, gives power to the beast, which in John's day manifested itself as the Roman Empire. Rome's power in earthly terms was invincible. And the emperors, as we have seen, began to demand to be worshipped as gods. Now, we need to apply this to our own day because the spiritual situation is exactly the same in our own day. 
The Roman Empire has gone. But Satan, working in this world, is just as active as ever. And Satan frequently uses the state, the powers that be. And so what do we find the state doing today? Promoting gross immorality in the name of equality and human rights. Legislating against the laws of God. Trying to punish those who disagree with what the state decrees. And so we live in a situation today where the state, the powers that be, are manifesting themselves as the ten-horned beast. As modern governments and leaders suppress biblical truth, as they presume to take on the role of defining moral absolutes and what people should believe, as they act as if they and the state's institutions are the ultimate source of wisdom, as they act as if the state and its experts are the ultimate saviours, as they curtail the freedoms of God's true people. So the state today is walking in the steps of the beast of Revelation 13. The state today is acting like God. It is saying that God made a mistake when he ordained that there are only two genders, male and female. The powers that be no better than that, apparently. Gender, we are told, is fluid. And you can decide for yourself what gender you are. That is an attack upon God's creation. And it is being authorised by the state. A Christian doctor who has preached in this very pulpit has been sacked from a medical post in government employment because, precisely because, he would not call a six-foot man with a beard who walked into his surgery a woman. He was sacked by the government. That's where we are at today in modern Britain. And that's why Revelation 13 and this ten-horned beast applies to us. Now, the Lord Jesus Christ, during his earthly ministry, warned his disciples about persecution from the powers that be. Mark chapter 13 and verse 9. They shall deliver you up to councils, and in the synagogues ye shall be beaten. Notice, Christians, true Christians, will receive persecution from the religious leaders. Ye shall be brought before rulers and kings for my sake, for a testimony against them, against the rulers and kings. Mark 13, verse 13. Ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. You see, Christians are not those 
nice friendly people holding a coffee morning down the road. Ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. The world in its imagined sophistication likes to use all its learning, its science and its philosophy to stigmatise and smear God's true people as dangerous and extreme. And so we see Christian preachers being arrested for preaching from the Bible. We are reminded of what John says here in verse 3. And all the world wandered after the beast. The opposition to Christ and biblical truth in our 21st century seems to know no bounds. But we must never forget our calling as disciples of Christ to come apart and be separate from this world. We must remain faithful to our Saviour. We must have nothing to do with the blasphemous beast which uses all kinds of clever arguments to beguile people. They call us extremists. They accuse us of not caring for people because we have made certain medical choices. We must not be swayed by the media or by the crowd. We are called to stand up to the beast, to stand up to the powers that be, to confront this God-rejecting world. So may the Lord help each one of us to be faithful, to endure to the very end as we confront the beast and all its powers. Amen.